0: Real Cuff Radio is about to begin.
1: Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us.
2: Well, welcome to Real Cuff. And tonight, I'm really excited. We have two outstanding women um, that will be speaking tonight. And one of them is Marsha Kendall, who has been on our show before. And uh, I always love it when she comes on because she has so much knowledge, so many stories to tell. And uh, she is definitely one that a lot of people request. And then the other one's going to be Dr. Alveda King, which is Martin Luther King Jr.'s niece. And uh, she has a program called Civil Rights, for the unborn and so we'll be talking to her some tonight so
1: Marcia how are you doing tonight I'm doing great thank you well
2: I'm so glad to have you and our topic tonight is basically abortion and uh, I know that there was a time you were telling me about a lot of the stuff during Roe versus Wade that was going on and with your husband and everything else and uh, so if you want to share anywhere on those lines, go right ahead.
1: Well, it was in the early 80s um, when we were uh, received a call from a man by the name of Flip Benham. Uh, he was a Methodist pastor in Garland, where we live, and uh, he wanted to talk to my husband. And so... When my husband got off the line, John said to me, he said, uh, well, I'm going to fill in for a man that will be going to prison or jail on Sunday morning. And I said, well, who is that? And so he mentioned Flip Benham. Now, Flip was a, uh, the background on Flip before he became a Methodist pastor, uh, he owned a bar and I believe it was Kissimmee, Florida. And, uh, the patrons would come in, and they wanted certain t- television stations turned on. And somehow, uh, someone turned on—I um, uh, believe it might have been Pat Robertson with the Seven Hundred Club—and so was looking while he drank. While he was drinking, he was listening to this Christian broadcasting network. Well, Flip Benham got caught up in it. He was the owner of the bar, and when it came time for an invitation to salvation, Flip turned his life over to Christ and actually just was so turned around, not only in his thinking but his living, that he sold his bar and uh, eventually moved to the Dallas Metroplex and open, and became a pastor of a church. So he uh, had been caught up with the news on what was going on with the abortion issue and and he uh, became very active in protesting abortion. So when my husband received the phone call from Flip to fill in for him on Sunday morning because he knew wherever he was going, they were going to arrest him, and he'd be going to jail. And he went to jail so many times in the 80s and early 90s uh, that my husband became a regular filling in for him. Uh, We'd receive the call, I'll be in jail this Sunday, will you preach for me? And we would go and preach at the Methodist Church. So that uh, was uh, 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 the second introduction I would say we we uh, uh, received about abortion. The first, uh, I remember telling you that I was in San Antonio uh, with my husband, and there was another couple that met us there, and we were having dinner together. And afterwards, we were driving down one of the, the main thoroughfares that go into San Antonio, and we saw a nun sitting out on the street, and uh, I say on the street, she was in between the sidewalk and the street, there on the green part of the grass. <clears throat> and I said, "Look at that nun sitting there. What is she doing?" And my friend Charlene said, "She's praying." Well, why is she praying there? Well. That house, it was a big old colonial style home that had been turned into an abortion clinic. And uh, she informed me this nun was there praying and interceding that women that would be going in there would have their minds changed and, and very, very much concerned over abortion. Well, I mean, I was married and had children and never realized that women were actually having babies sucked out of their womb. And I was astounded, and I was shocked. And I went, no, they, women aren't really doing such a thing. And, and how can they hate their own flesh? Uh, what is this? And so it, it became a conversation that we entered into, but I said, we've got to go back and help that nun. And I said, where is all the women? Where are the women protesting what's going on? And there were none, just one nun out there. So the uh, us girls were sitting in the back seat. So our husbands turned around, and, and uh, they parked a half a block down the street, and we walked up to the nun, and we knelt on either side of her. And I announced we're here to support you and to help you. She never moved a muscle. She never acknowledged we were there. She never looked up. And she kept praying with her rosary in front of her, fingering each uh, of the little beads. And she was deep in prayer. So we prayed. We prayed for five minutes. And my knees began to hurt and I thought how long has she been here and so I thought well I've got to pray more than five minutes or I'm not sincere so I prayed 10 minutes and it was amazing to me I didn't know the words to pray I was just so astounded at what was going on and then 15 minutes and I thought I don't know if I can make any more time but We did make 30 minutes in prayer, and Charlene looked at me over the head of this little nun, and I looked at her, and we were both in pain with our knees and in kneeling there, and we both nodded that it was time to go. So I put my hand on the nun, and I said, we're leaving now. But we're going to be praying for you as you pray for this situation. We left there, and uh, I i was astounded that she was alone. And so many women are alone in praying about the amor- abortion issue today. But there are those like Alveda King, who is doing something about it, and she's speaking out. Uh, she's the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King. And doing a tremendous work. But I, uh, when we were called to go to Flip Benham's the uh, church, his Methodist church, uh, we were astounded at his ability to know he would be going to jail. I, I would like to know how many times that man went to jail in those years that we filled in for him or how many times we filled in for him while he was in jail. But yet he would... Go back. He smiled all the time. He was one of the happiest men we've ever met. And precious, precious family. But these were difficult days where they they were beginning to call, and actually had been since the 60s, beginning to call what was evil good and what was good evil. It is amazing because... I have found that when women talk about the abortion issue, either they're all for it or all against it. But recently, I saw on television a, um, a women who were at a college that were being stopped on the street and asking their uh, being asked their opinion on abortion and their stand, and every one of them would say, well, I'm for it. I think it's fine. Women should have a choice at what they want. And if they uh, don't feel that they're able to have a baby, then it's perfectly fine. And so the interviewer said, well, could I show you a partial birth abortion, and then you tell me what you think about it? Well, sure, sure. They were flippant until after it was over. And their faces registered shock. And they looked at this man while he continued questioning them, what do you think about abortion, partial, uh, maybe abortion now? And every one of them, without exception, said, I didn't understand and realize the procedure is not just a procedure. It's the taking of a life. And... I you looked at that and I watched the faces change on those young women from being carefree, flippant, uh, women of the world, uh, learning their freedom. They were going to do what they wanted to do and to be becoming very sober and realizing that there was more behind the easy way to eliminate what they called a problem. Than what they were even faced with. So, hey, I,
2: Marcia. Yes. I, since you mentioned partial birth abortion, I just kind of want to let people know because a lot of them still don't know what partial birth abortion is. But, you know, basically, they the baby's full term, yes. and they give the they give the mother something some medication so that the baby will flip around and come out breech. You know, uh-huh. which, first of all, all these years we've learned how dangerous that is for the mother, you know, and, and that was a lot of, you know, that's why a lot of C-sections happen because the baby's breech, the baby's breech. So they flip this baby around, the baby's breech, and then they, they deliver it until just the head is left inside, and then they t- take this thing called an, uh, uh, an owl, and basically they drive it up into the bra- baby's brain. And then they suck the brain out and kill the baby and then deliver it the rest of the way. And then they harvest all the parts because it's, it's a big money-making thing.
1: Yes. And it, these- uh, those young women didn't finish watching that like they came up and talked. I mean, they were a total different mindset. It was just a total different thing. You know, uh, we, we talk about women having a choice they have a choice and uh i have i have thought about that a lot you know we all want to have a choice of what we do and where we go and how we do things and that that is our choice but yet so many young women have made a choice to deliver a baby that gives their child a chance in life who knows what that child will be or will become or will be able to influence others for good. I believe there's been doctors and lawyers who began as adoptees. In fact, how many, you, you think of how many children in the Bible were adopted. Samuel, he was uh, taken to Eli, excuse me, to uh Samuel was taken to, yes, to Eli, the priest, and he was raised in the temple with Eli's son for that was supposed to be having a, a spiritual influence on him. And then there was Moses. Moses was raised in a family that was not his own. There was Daniel and the three Hebrew boys that were raised in family that was not of their origin. There are many, many, if you begin to think of the different ones who were raised in different environment, different family situations than what they were born into, and I think the key is found in Daniel, the first chapter, where it says that the, Daniel and those, uh, those three Hebrew boys were without blemish. And they were able to stand in king's palaces. And there are children without blemish who are positioned into places and homes where they can come forth and actually be the deliverer of many, many people. I believe that God has a special place and a special call for those who have been adopted into other families. And this is a, another subject on the other hand, but the choice, if a woman would choose to allow her child to be a special called child for use unto the Lord, there is no telling what good they could do by just going the few months extra and delivering that child and let it be taken into a good home. Now, let's don't stop with there. there. I, I, had, uh, I talked with Alan Keyes when he was running for president one year, and uh, I, I talked with him about women's choice. I said, what if a woman has the choice not only to deliver her baby and to let that baby be adopted into a good home, but she must have also the choice to say which home that baby goes to. Does it go to a typical uh, mother and father home? Is that the home she wants? Then she needs to have that choice to say where her baby goes. Will it go to two lesbians or two homosexuals or to a single person? She should have that choice. Where does she want her baby to grow up? And you think of Samuel's mother. Samuel's mother had a choice. She took her child to the temple to be raised up under the prophet. And Moses' mother seemingly did not have a choice, but she, when she hid her child, and her child was found by the king's daughter, I don't think she was unhappy that her child would be raised in the king's palace. All of us want the best for our children, and sometimes it means great sacrifice. And yet, here, she was able to even nurse her baby, actually nurse it and feed it, and to be able to raise her child in the king's palace way was made for her and if women would go the second mile just a little further and agree for their child to be born there's no telling what type of a king's palace they're able to be raised in so i explained this to alan keys he got so excited about it and he insisted that we must produce a law And though we worked on it, it seemed it got shot down a couple times, but I have never forgotten that. And I want to uh, share that with Alveda King. I'd like to hear her thoughts on on the subject here.
2: I think that's an excellent idea.
1: Yeah. So the woman's choice is just not a partial choice, just not like a partial birth abortion. We should have full choice in what we what we choose to do, and then if we choose to keep the child, I believe that child. If we make a choice for what's right, there's no telling what God will do with those children. But they are with uh, they are without blemish when they are raised uh, to serve in other places. And God has His hand specially upon them. So I, I've heard of uh, people that were uh, bemoaning the fact that they were adopted into a family and th- not by their own birth, and they were feeling sorry for themselves until they met the family of which they came from and were glad they had been adopted and privileged. And we need to realize that adoption is—you know—you could speak on that about the how we are adopted into the family of Christ. Isn't that wonderful?
2: Yes, it is. Amen.
1: Uh, you know something about adopted children that I that I love? Do you know they cannot be disinherited?
2: That's the truth.
1: Yes. Adopted children can never be disinherited, and if your child goes into, if you have prepared the way for your child to go into a good home, that child can never be disinherited from that good home. Can never be uh, rejected by it. Legally, has all full benefits where, where a uh, child born into that home. Uh, in the natural means, doesn't have as many rights as the adopted one. So God takes, he says, when your mother and father forsake you, I pick you up. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. So if you, yes, if there is, for the woman that's listening, or the man that's listening, you have been adopted. You have a special call upon you. If you've not yet walked in it, it's not God's fault, and it's not actually anyone's fault. It's just that you need to be made aware you have an inheritance that is greater than what you could ever think of. And if you begin to look more and more about those that are raised into other homes— it's because they are uh, they have not only an ability uh to to do great things but that they are going to be given the opportunity if they will take it but they are going to have to step up and be and and be ready to step into those places that god has called them to and the enemy is real good at trying to get people to feel sorry for themselves. Well, I wasn't raised with this. Or the home, even that I was adopted in, we didn't have what we'd like to have had. We didn't even have some of the things we were needed. Perhaps it was because God toughened you through that so that you could be able to do the things that he's called you to do. There's always a reason and there's always a way made for those that God calls, even from their mother's womb. He calls them from their mother's womb to step into places that they would never think they would ever go. So God is not looking for those who have got all the right uh, pedigrees, all the right uh, ancestral background. He's looking for those whom he chooses. He chooses different ones, and he will raise them up by whatever means. So Women, don't abort your baby. Let it be a special child that God can use in great and mighty ways. I think of um, one minister God has used so many, so much of uh, uh, the time since I've known him. He was a young man. In fact, John and I sat in his second revival, James Robeson, and uh, I remember he had a little two-week-old baby girl, and he came to our church, Clarendon Drive Baptist Church, to preach a revival. And There he was, but James Robeson was was adopted into a family, uh, a pastoral family, and there he received the training that he needed to go into the ministry, without which he would have never gone into the ministry, and to think how God is using he and his wife today tremendously. Uh, A person may not become a minister, but... They may become a doctor, a nurse. They may be one that touches the world for Christ, sets the world on fire, does something that others could not do because they have come forth through a mighty, mighty wall that would have normally separated them and even snuffed out their life in their early life. But God had a plan. And he's still got a plan. He's still got a plan. If people all of a sudden, they're in their 30s and say, you know, I was one of those adopted. Well, what is it, Lord, that you have for me? And he will unveil it for you if you ask.
2: You know, one of my favorite uh, Christian singers, Jason Upton, was adopted. And uh, if you've never listened to some of his songs about uh, you know, singing about the father singing over you and everything else uh, because of that. Uh, it, it's just incredible.
1: Uh-huh. Do You know, there's a story told of two little kids that were playing together and um, uh, a snippy little lady came up and she says, well, I hear that one of you is adopted. Which one is it? And... uh they looked at each other, and they said, "We've heard that too, but we can't figure out which one we are. They didn't know which one was adopted. It's good for them Yes, yes, tremendously i um, I, I love to pray for women who are unable to get pregnant. So many women want children. They cannot have them. Oh, there would be there would be no one, uh, no child. <laughs> We've heard of no child left behind. We, there are women who would love to have one of those little babies, and my daughter was one of those. You know, for 14 years, she couldn't have children, due to her husband uh, having gone through. In fact, he's one of the first He is the first survivor from lymphoblastoma in the fourth stages, and uh, he was never to ha- be able to have children. And and uh, so we prayed, and we just said, Lord, you have ways you can give children any way you want to. We choose you, but Lord, it would be so nice if she had a baby. I had a dream. She had a boy. So I told her, I called her. I said, you know, I've dreamed you've had a boy. Now, wouldn't that be interesting if that was from the Lord or that Uh, idea came from God, and so uh, we would refer to it once in a while, and I'd say, you know, I still believe you're going to have your boy, and she finally gave up, and she tried in vitro 10 times. They tried everything uh, because they found out there was like a little bitty, 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 bitty chance, but they had told her also, even if you uh, were, were able to conceive that the baby would not be normal. Well, uh, they had been married 13 years when she decided to uh, go for the petri dish, and they were going because there was just a little way maybe that they could kind of uh, help Mother Nature along a little bit. And so she was going through all these tests, and she was going for one of the last tests, and they said, "Well, we're sorry, you don't fit our program anymore." And she said, why? I was told I was the perfect person for it. And They said, well, you're expecting a baby. You are expecting a little one. And she called and she says, what do you think? What do you think? And I said, God wouldn't give you anything that wasn't good. And so NBC got a hold of it. They did a program, filmed uh, her and she and her husband telling their story because he had been a semi-ball player and when he got uh, this uh, tumor in his chest that was of all things they said the size of a baseball and he was a semi-baseball player and it was pushing his heart into his lungs and they had to immediately uh, uh, do something with him because he he had this lymphoblastoma in the bones everywhere in his blood, and they took him to the Birmingham uh, Medical Center, and there they uh, they were the recipients, the first recipients of what's called the Dana Farber method of of taking care of cancer. Well, uh, he got down to about eighty pounds, but they said and all, but he survived, but they said he would never have children, never be able to have children. And so any time I would say something about, it, I just, she finally she kept saying, Mother, don't even tell me that. I don't want to get my hopes up. And then it went from that to finding there was just a little bit of life there that might possibly, but way not enough to do anything uh, positive. So here, when she came up on her own, that they are going to have this little boy. Uh, uh, it was it was caught by NBC. They did a video uh, filming of their life, and uh, and when she went into the hospital, they stayed at the door, but they filmed the event, and uh, and because, you know, she, she was getting a little older. She had it by C-section, and out of the sheets comes this 9-pound, 3-ounce little boy and uh, wailing loudly, and uh, he was 9.3 on the Apgar, and, uh, which is how they make sure that the child is fine. And uh, there they are, and the, the daddy fell on his knees, praising God, and she began to weep, and they, they zeroed in on her face, and she said, Just to think, we were unable to have a child, and now we have one of our own. Now, isn't it interesting that that child is 13 years old, and he plays baseball. He's a what they call a switch hitter. He can hit a home run from the left hand to the right hand. He's been written up in a magazine, in the newspaper, and uh, now he and he's uh, uh, his daddy has got a deal together with Pete Rose where they are opening up the Hit King baseball camps all over America. You know, God has a plan when uh, uh, for children that have to go through trials and troubles even before they're born uh, and to get into this world, much less. That when everything's against him, after they got in, they, he's, they said, we just want to make sure he's okay. They couldn't find a thing wrong with him. And uh, the doctor said that he, he couldn't be any more perfect than if he was a doctor's child. Of course, they, <laughs> they uh, always tout how great the doctor's children are. But uh, I love to pray for women, for children, and to be able to see God bring forth the fruit of the womb. And I believe that in the year, I guess it was in the year 80 at Beverly Hills Baptist Church where we attended, uh, Sandra Martin wrote a book uh, from about things that were happening at our church. During that time, we went from 500 to uh, over 5,000 in less than a year when God began to uh, show us how to walk in such victories and victorious life. And it drew people unto Christ. It was beautiful. And during that time, we had women that were wanting children. So they'd send them to me, would you pray with her? She wants a baby. And we'd pray. And uh, through... It wasn't through any special prayers, but it was just by faith that we'd pray. And how many of those women uh, were able to conceive and have children? It was beautiful. So I'm all for the baby. I'm all for the women's choice. But I do believe we uh, we need to seek the women's choice all the way. After delivery, which way do those children go? How can we help give them a good start? If we can't raise them and someone can, let's, let's figure out a way where, by law, they have the choice that says where that child goes. Right now, we don't have it, and anyone can take your child. We have accounts uh, even this year of where men, two men raising boys, took boys, and have been using them sexually. And we need to know that our children are okay from not only from conception but from birth and then on and give them the best possible send-off and, and blessing that we can possibly give them.
2: You know, you mentioned about having the the dream about them having a boy. And uh, one of the things about Alveda King, her mother was going to abort her. And Senior King had a dream and said, "You, you can't abort that baby because I had a dream that I had a little granddaughter. And that's going to be my little granddaughter. And uh, she, she, uh, I, I don't know if I have it on, uh, on her testimony. As a matter of fact, I'll take the time to play the testimony of, uh, you know, her telling about, um, you know, what she went through, mm-hmm. right here.
3: My testimony is very similar to all the ones that you're here today, and I was fooled by all of the stories that i was told that my baby was a lump of tissue it wouldn't hurt any more than getting my tooth pulled but interestingly enough i had had an abortion prior to my choice to have an abortion in 1973 very soon after roe versus Wade passed my doctor made a decision for me and he did what's called an involuntary dnc my newborn baby i had a, a relatively newborn baby i went to the doctor to get checked the doctor says, you don't need to have another baby, let's see. And that's how I had my first abortion. It changed my body, I, I, my cervix was damaged, my mammary system acted up, my breast and everything. I became instantly a candid, candidate for breast cancer and cervical cancer. I ended up having cervical surgery to repair my cervix. So all of those things happened. It changed my personality so much. That first one that the doctor did without telling me, that as a young married lady who had just gotten married the year after my uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King, was assassinated. The next year, my dad, Reverend A.D. King, his brother, they were uh, both civil rights leaders. Daddy walks me down the aisle, and a week later, he was dead. I had the first baby, went, and the doctor did the abortion. So I had all of that trauma and tragedy, all that post-abortive syndrome going on in my life. It changed my personality so much, I ended up divorced. I tried to reconcile with my husband and uh, we conceived another child. in between us, because we were young and totally not knowing what was going on, totally clueless young people. So we bought, oh, it's a blob of tissue. It won't hurt. Well, it did hurt. It was not a blob of tissue. I have two babies who were aborted in heaven Philip and Jessica, and their brother Raphael, who was uh, miscarried over that period of time. But then, In 1973, when I made that decision, my personality changed, and for a minute I became a pro-choice voice, and it was foolish. Because here I was out saying a woman has the right to choose what she does with her body, which happens to be true, ladies. We do have a right to choose what we do with our bodies. But I knew those babies were not my body. I knew that. You see, I bore six living children. They were not my body. So I had begun to ask the question in 1977 when two African-American men, by the grace of God, helped me to change that position. I got pregnant again in 1977. The father of that baby, I, here I am talking nonsense. A woman has the right to choose what she does with her body. It's not a baby, it's a blob of tissue. And the baby's daddy said, no, we're not killing that baby. That's my baby. We do not kill by baby. This was an African-American man that said that. So then I went to my best friend, Daddy King, Dr. Martin Luther King, Sr. I told him the same junk. Granddaddy, we can, I can have an abortion. It's not a baby's It's And that's the real civil rights issue. That's
4: right. My
3: uncle said, and Dr. King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Ripping babies apart is a very unjust act. It's very violent. Dr. King was nonviolent. And he said the Negro cannot win if he's willing to sacrifice the future of his children for personal comfort and safety. And that's what we do when we have abortions, my friends. So I'm glad to see the young people. I'm glad to see the mature folks like me. I'm glad to see the men and the women from every ethnic community today. I'm healed today through Rachel's Vineyard, through Amen. the grace and power of God, yeah. through Silent No More Awareness Campaign. So I thank you for seeing each of you and joining us today. And God bless you all.
1: I had one uh, I, I I'm not given to a lot of dreams, but I did have another dream. And I dreamed that... Uh, I found a little baby girl, and I, it was like I was in a glass-bottom boat. I could see through down through some murky water, and I saw it looked like a baby doll, and I passed over it, and I went, wait a minute, that's a baby. Someone had a baby, and they've gotten rid of it, and I just thought, well, I'll have to report it, and I thought, no, I'm going back, and I picked up that baby, and I held it to me, and I mashed... The water out of its lungs and it gasped and took a big and uh, gasp and began to cry. And so I decided I was going to keep that baby, and I named her Mary, M-A-R-I. I called her Mary. And my daughter, the one I'm telling you about, she came to see me in my dream, and she said, Mom, you've had three daughters, and I have not had a daughter yet. May I have her? and i said yes indeed so she said i'm going to put an ah on it and call her name mariah and that was in my dream and so i wake up and i immediately uh go to the phone and i call my daughter and i said i had a dream about a baby girl and you getting her from me and it wasn't even one week later i got a call from sandy sandy says Marcia, will you pray with me? We have a baby girl that's going to be born in our family, and we're looking for a Christian couple. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to pray with you. I never even thought about my daughter at that point. And that was about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. About 3 or 4, my heart began to beat. I remember that conversation, and I thought, what is wrong with me? And I called her, and I said, Sandy, how would you like for me to be the grandmother of that baby? And she said, I would love it, but what do you mean? I said, Well, I told her about Rachel and about how she was unable to conceive and how she'd had one miracle baby. But uh, after that, she, they said, It was such a big miracle. They said, You need to be content with one miracle. And I said, You know, wouldn't it be great if she had two, if she could have this baby? And from the time of my dream until they flew into Dallas to pick up baby Zoe Mariah Grace she it was 7 weeks and because she was born to the state of uh, through the state of Texas because the mother had, had had a lot of problems and the state had to take over and it the baby was paid for and Rachel flew in. She had done the home study from where she lived in California. She flew in, and through uh, my contact with a friend, she had a baby, and she went to Parkland Hospital, picked that baby up, was able to feed it, and was uh, and was able to uh, uh, take that baby. She she did have to stay in Texas two weeks uh, till all the legalities were taken care of, and then she took that baby home. And beautiful, beautiful little girl. One day she was saying, "Mommy, mommy, why didn't I come from your tummy?" And she said, "Because you came from my heart." And she said, "Oh, okay." And she'll tell anyone. I came from my mama's heart, and uh, so a beautiful little girl. But I have had no more dreams, and I think Rachel's glad. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh wow! Yes. You know, um, I do want to mention something.
0: <clears throat>
2: the, uh, you know, you're talking earlier about that pastor that went to to uh, jail over and over again for the protesting and you know about probably about uh, 14 years ago I called I was talking to focus on the family about this but you know there was a period of time where a lot of people were actually going and protesting at the hospitals and stuff uh, because they were doing abortions yes and then the, the hospitals what they did is they got smart and they changed it from on the schedule saying abortion to VIP, which stood for voluntary interruption of pregnancy. And that's when these, a lot of them faded out. And, and I, you know, I still believe a lot of hospitals are doing abortions. They just changed the names. They did, you know, they just got kind of smart and, and it was probably the volunteers that were letting people know that it was going on. And, uh, you know, so, uh, it, it made a difference when people when people were out there protesting. You know, a lot of people thought, well, it was done in vain, but it wasn't done in vain.
1: Do you know of the name of Irvin Feldkamp? I think they call him Bud. Uh, he's actually the owner of the largest for-profit abortion chain in the nation, and it's called Family Planning Associates. And, um, and uh, anyway he began uh, They began to perform more abortions than any other abortion provider, Planned Parenthood included, and they performed abortions through the first five months of pregnancy and Though he wasn 't an abortionist he he reaped many much profit uh, blood money from the tens of thousands of babies killed through abortions performed every year at the clinics that he owns um, he It enabled him to afford a private plane and uh other things, but um it was very interesting one year I read in the Christian Newswire about how that um, uh part of his family there was a there this his private plane that was paid for by abortions crashed into a Montana cemetery killing seven children and seven adults, and uh, it was all over the news, but what the news sources failed to mention was the cemetery contains the tomb of the unborn that was erected as a dedication to all babies who died because of the abortion, and the family that died in the crash near the location of the abortion victim's memorial was the family of of this man, Irving Feldkamp, that was the uh, largest, uh, owner of the largest for-profit abortion chain in the nation. And the plane went down on a Sunday. It killed two of his daughters, his own daughters, Feldkamp's daughters, two sons-in-law and five grandchildren, along with a pilot and four other family friends. And they said that the cause of the crash was a mystery. The pilot was a former military flyer who had logged over uh, 2K miles. He gave no indication to the air traffic controllers that the aircraft was was in difficulty. And he, when he did ask to divert to an airport in Butte, witnesses reported that the plane all of a sudden nosedived to the ground with no apparent sign of a struggle. There wasn't a cockpit voice recorder nor a data flight recorder on board. No radar clues into the plane's final moments because uh, the Butte Airport isn't equipped at that. Uh, maybe it is now, but it wasn't equipped with radar facility, uh, uh, ability at that time. And some some speculate that maybe the crash was due to ice on the wings. But this particular plane Model had been tested for ice. Whether and experts had uh, stated that the ice being the cause was unlikely, but uh, it it they he had been warned uh, of the scripture in Ezekiel uh, that if you did not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you. And he had been warned, for even for his children's sake, to wash his hands of the innocent blood that he assisted in spilling uh, because of that scripture. And they said that when Bud Feldkamp visited the site of the crash with his wife and their two surviving children, uh, the next day they stood near the twisted, the charred debris, talking with the investigators Light snow was falling on the tarps that covered the remains of their children and and it uh, you know we don't I don't want to we don't want to call uh turn this into some creepy spiritual thing like I told you so moment, but um, you know pam uh, they said that Pamfeld camp. Uh, laughed at the fetal development signs. But Bud Feldkamp, when he was getting back into his car uh, with a small child in tow, this woman that was writing about this said she thought of the haunting words, think of your children, because he was told, think of your children, think of your children. And... uh, you know, those words, I wondered if they were remembered by him at that point as he stood there in the snow among the remains of his loved ones. Just feet away, they said, from the tomb of the unborn. And so we need to repent. We all need to repent. We all need to uh, allow the Lord to change us, even about our thoughts about abortion. Um, we, I don't think that um, I've heard about whether this catastrophe softened the heart of Bud and Pam or that they drew close to the Lord. I'd like to see if they're still doing this type of thing, but that uh, the Lord says, I've set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. And we're we're told in Deuteronomy 30 and 19, choose life then, because you have before you the blessing or the curse. And it's hard to think about, you know, it's hard to uh, think about uh, death and and that we sow what we reap. But, um, you know, it wasn't that Mr. Feldkamp had not had any prior tragedy. Uh, Two years before that happened, his 10-month-old grandson uh, expired after he slipping between a mattress and the edge of a bed during a nap. And he was taken to a hospital and eventually taken off life support. And you wonder if stuff like that maybe turns a person's heart to where they... They think differently about a child and death. I don't know. But uh, that major story was one that was not talked about. The news sources failed to mention the cemetery containing the tomb of the unborn, uh, erected as a dedication to all babies who have died because of abortion. But here this this man who owned a great amount of abortion uh clinics. And uh, here his family became part of, of a terrible, terrible tragedy. And I'm not saying that's because of it. I'm just saying I think it's ironic. And I do know that uh, our children are precious. Our children are precious. And when we begin to uh, look at life with us, With a less than sensitive awareness of the Creator who made us, he said he knew us from our mother's womb, then we lose out on things that God has got for us. So let's choose life and let's make our choice go all the way. Let's choose the blessing, not the curse. Let's choose life and not death. Deuteronomy thirty and nineteen. Go with God, and He'll go with you. That's crazy to to think
2: about. And and uh, you no. know we don't we don't know uh, you know what was going through His mind and stuff. No, um, especially after a, a plane crash and stuff like oh, that. Oh no. Um, I, and I my do heart know. Would have
1: still gone. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, broken for him because I mean your family
2: exactly yeah you know um I'll tell you a story about it It happened at one of the hospitals there was a a doctor there and he was you know he was an OBGYN and he did a lot of uh DNCs but he was known to do abortions and kind of slip them under the door as a DNC and Mm -hmm. and people wouldn't know and uh And that it would seem to always kind of happen late in the evening and stuff. And if you were the person on call, you got stuck doing it with them. And they didn't put a monitor or anything else on the mother, you know, so you wouldn't know if it was an aborted baby or, or, you know, or or really was a baby that had passed on that was, you know, Mm -hmm. being done. And so the last time I worked with him, I just knew this was a baby that was being aborted. And so as he was doing it, I was putting the baby back together on the back table. Hmm. And when he finally finished, he stood up, he turned around and the, the baby, the whole baby was put back together on the back table. And he looked at that and he stared at it for a minute and he walked out of the room and he retired the next day.
1: Well, I don't
2: know if he already planned on retiring. I don't know any of that, but all I know is when you, when you see it literally in your face, it it makes a difference. I mean, just like some of those videos with the partial birth abortions, you know, um, when they actually see stuff like that, you know, and a lot of these women uh, were planning on going in and having an abortion
0: Mm -hmm. and,
2: uh, after seeing a video like that, there was just no way they could do it.:
1: Yes Well, aren't you glad the Lord forgives? He forgives those that have gone through it, and, and uh, sometimes they don't uh, some of the women don't forgive themselves because once they learn what really has taken place,' it's sure it sure can be devastating, but the Lord can, the Lord can heal that too.
2: Yes
4: well, well,
1: I think it is it is a blessed uh, it's a blessed event to be able to hear from the Lord and uh, and you know, Peter said, we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And uh, we need to be able to keep ourselves. Looking for what's right and doing what's right, you know. Uh, in the last days, according to First Peter one and five, uh, he said God's going to reveal His keeping power to His people, and and He will keep us. He will keep us in the palm of His hand. Christ prayed. To the Father concerning His disciples, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that You gave Me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. And you think of that? Christ prayed to the Father concerning the disciples, that knowing God gave them to Him during that time, and I have kept them, and none of them is lost. And may it be said that we. Know how to keep ourselves, and that you know, the disciples didn't know how to keep themselves in the will of God, they were kept by a mighty power outside of themselves. They could have made it, uh, they couldn't have made it a single day without God's, uh, the Lord's keeping power. But what a glorious prayer Christ prayed on our behalf! I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil. Keep them from evil, John 17 and 15. Uh, In the Greek, the word kept is very expressive. It's used uh, in 1 Peter 1 and 5, but... It means to establish a military outpost, to guard him in, protect with as with a garrison, to establish a fortress with a full military line with full military apparatus and to discern the enemy far in advance and protect from danger. We need to alert the young women. And I wonder if the mentors are Mentoring. If the teachers are teaching, you know who teaches the teachers, who mentors the mentors. We need to admonish those who teach. They have got a great responsibility. We need to alert and to teach the young women what takes place with abortion. Uh, we actually become a powerful military outpost uh, when we when we. Uh, are able to see the oncoming enemy far in advance, and we can resist the enemy. Uh, when Jesus prayed, "Keep them from evil," the Greek word for "keep" means to deliver from the effect or influence of anything bad, evil, grievous, harmful, lewd, malicious, or wicked, and all that is corrupt or diseased. So, putting it all together, it seems almost too good to believe that we're in God's military outpost, and protected by fully equipped spiritual armor, army of innumerable horses, chariots, and soldiers, and in battle, full battle array, completely informed of every enemy plan and device. But we need, because our young women are not taught, and many of them have not been uh, taught at home, some of them have not been able to... Uh, uh, for various reasons, be in a church or in a Sunday school class, they haven't received training from there. But once we give them the truth, the Word of God says that greater is He that's within you than He who's in the world. John, first, John four and, and four, I believe. But we need to realize that we are a strong army. We need to keep ourselves. We need to to realize that. We're po- more powerful. That the Lord will help us, and the Lord will help these girls through these difficult times. He will, He will cause them to, to rise up strong. And and if we can offer help to them, so many will make the right choices if they're encouraged to do that. So I'm, 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 believing God that this is going to be a year where, uh, where there's going to be a stake put down in the ground where people will begin to decide they're going to go for what is right not what is uh popular not what is uh uh, 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 that has been offered but that they're going to begin to make uh be blessed they want to be blessed and they don't want death they want life in their life and they're going to do whatever it takes. They're going to push past their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own, uh, uh hearts to, th- to do these things and that they'll do it God's way. And I believe that when the lights turned on, the darkness has to flee.
2: You know, Marcia, it's, it's been 43 years since Roe versus Wade. And, um, one of the things that we're going to talk to Albita about is their stance on, you know, abortion is not health care. And so I will play, I'll play a little clip from that.
3: Abortion is not health care. And I remember we were in Washington, D.C. several years ago, the National Black Pro-Life Coalition. And I was with Dave Gardner and Dean Nelson and Bishop Harry Jackson and other members, Uh, we had Dr. Donna, who's not African American, but she's from um, uh, the pro-life doctors, and and we were saying abortion is not health care. And so when the HHS mandate came forth, we were readily and ready to make that known again, but I kept saying, why? Why did so many people vote for President Obama in 2008? And first, the highest number, of course, African Americans. And you can almost understand that because uh, folks who've been oppressed through slavery, although that none of that's in President Obama's bloodline, none of his ancestors were ever slaves in America, but people who had that experience, oh, this is the answer. Of course we know it wasn't. I knew it then. And then you had Catholics. Over 50% of Catholics voted for President Obama. And then you know the Catholic community still loving President Kennedy and what all that represented. And so I'm a Democrat. I have to be a Democrat. This man maybe is killing babies and maybe he's destroying families. And nobody knew how badly he was going to trash the economy. I don't think we did. So, But it goes on. The Latinos, a lot of women voted for the president. President Barack Hussein Obama. Now, it's my personal opinion and that he needs to be retired. He needs to go home and pray. Everybody follow me on that? He just needs to go home and pray. And and we can definitely pray for him. But so why did so many women vote for President Obama? There's a poll out now. I just read about it today. And it says that women say whether they're pro-life or not, they think that all women have a right to choose. Well, I say that a woman has a right for an educated choice and I have told women face-to-face who were pro-abortion at the time, I said, ma'am, I cannot help you choose strokes, heart attacks, breast cancer, liver cancer, cervical cancer, and death by abortion, because a lot of women, if they don't die on the table, like Tanya Reeves did recently in Chicago, a black woman died in Chicago, Mm -hmm. but if they don't die right there on that table, or during those few hours, there are side effects. Medical doctors can tell you that later, in an early demise for ladies. So I'm post-abortive. I'm alive. I'm healthy today. But that's by the grace of God. And I'm a repentant post-abortive mother, you see. And so we have a right to know that this stuff, the contraceptives are deadly, the abortions are deadly for the baby and sometimes the mother. All of this is not health care. And final point, my daughter and her peers, a lot of young ladies that I mentor, they're all coming to me. My daughter herself said, Mom, if somebody, if a lady's having problems in her reproductive system and she goes to the doctor on this HHS, they tell her they can't help her. They can give her some free birth control. They can tell her where to get a free or a low-cost abortion, but they can't give her anything that's going to make her well. So what condition does an abortion cure? It's supposed to make a woman feel better, it doesn't. I promise you it doesn't. Silent No More Awareness, Rachel's Vineyard, the Pregnancy Care Centers, there are too many people that can prove abortions don't make us feel better. The artificial contraceptives kill people. If you look out on the back of not only Yaz, we point to Yaz, but all of them on the back and said it could give you a stroke or a heart attack. Well, how are you gonna know you're subject? Don't take it if you're subject to one. How are you gonna know you're subject to one? You see, it makes no sense. So President Obama is not our friend, ladies. President Obama is not a friend to women. The HHS mandate is not a friend to women. What's the name of that congressman here in this state who... Uh, the, Nelson. Uh, Nelson the, the lady said he has two hats. He looks real moderate when he's here. And then when he gets to D.C., he's President Obama's clone. You know, and when she explained that, that made a lot of sense. I was kind of shocked, but it made sense. So we just have to wake up. I'm not going to take any more time all the time. But let's send President Obama home to pray and let him leave Washington, period, in the name of Jesus. Um,
2: and then another thing I wanted to mention about her is January 22nd is her birthday, and Roe versus Wade fell, falls on January 22nd. And so every every year, instead of celebrating her birthday, she goes out and and uh, talks to people about you know her own experience of of having an abortion and yeah. repenting of that and being healed by God. And so I just I thought that was incredible because hmm. you know most people on their birthday it's it's all about me it's all you know and uh, so
1: yeah. January 22nd. Well, I'm a, I'm a January person, too. That's a, that's a good month for leaders. Have you ever noticed how many leaders are born at the first of the year? I, I have, and I think it's very interesting. So I'm, I'm anxious to learn a lot from Avita King. I believe she's got a lot to tell us.
2: Tonight we've got Dr. Alveda King on, and she is with Priest for Life. And they have started a program called Civil Rights for the Unborn. And thank you so much for coming on, Dr.
4: King. This is just a blessing, and I ask God to bless you and all of our listeners and to calm our hearts during this uh, challenging time so that we can expect miracles and blessings from heaven. So I'm glad to join you and to greet all of your listeners.
2: Now, I've already shared your testimony and a lot of other stuff on here because I know your time's really short. Would you just tell us a little bit about the civil rights from the unborn?
4: Well blessedly I'm Director of Civil Rights for the Unborn with Priests for Life. I've been there since nineteen no, I'm sorry, two thousand and four. So this is going out 12 years now, and we started out as African-American Outreach, informing, educating, and activating the African-American community about the harmful impact of abortion. I worked with Father St. Pavone, Janet Morana, the priest for Life team. Uh, I, I helped to found a group called the National Black Pro-Life Coalition during this time. And so Civil Rights for the Unborn, of course, it includes the little babies in the womb, and that's all the little babies in the womb. Where is their lawyer? And certainly African-American babies, uh, because we are disproportionately uh, uh, experiencing abortion in the black community. So this is our work, and we are at civilrightfortheunborn.com. I'm post-abortive myself. My grandfather, Martin Luther King Sr., saved me from abortion in 1950. My mother was going to have a DNC. And he promised to help her, he and my daddy. And, of course, mom and dad, I was actually born after they were married, but they got married. There were five children. I had two secret abortions myself and a miscarriage. But I am the mother of six living children and ten grandchildren. So God is very good to me. Wow. Well, you know, all
2: I can say is, is uh – is. You know, it sounds like you've got a lot of stuff going on, but would you mind just praying over the audience and let the Lord just open their eyes so they can hear what you're trying to do here and and let their hearts be changed?
4: Father, in the name of Jesus, we come with this request for prayer to you. Father, we are living in turbulent times, and your word, of course, did say that that would be so. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, shed his blood for us, and we're grateful, and now with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we continue to move forward. Lord, in America, we've experienced something called racism and white privilege, but that's just laws that were put in place after slavery, Lord, to try to manage the population. Lord, we repent of all of that, and there are so many people of goodwill and good hearts of every skin color. According to Acts seventeen twenty six, of one blood, Lord, you made all people to live on the face of the earth. My dear uncle, the brother of my daddy, Reverend A.D. King, they live in heaven now. Martin Luther King, Jr. said, Father, and you put that in his heart to say, we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters or perish as fools. I added, sister, Lord, <laughs> he said as brothers. So, Lord, now as we pray over the listening audience and are uh, all that will be touched by this broadcast, Lord. Let us not be arguing and fighting over politics or money or skin color or just anything, Lord, but just let us hear clearly, see clearly, seek your voice and your face during this time. And, Lord, according to your word in Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my faith, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and in But land. Lord, we just believe that you're listening, that you love us, and that we'll be able to move forward uh, in this country and across this world, Lord, uh, with your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, we thank you and bless you, Lord. Amen.
2: Amen. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, and we really do appreciate what you're doing and, you know, want to be able to back you up. So, well,
4: I appreciate that's... it in this opportunity. And maybe we'll talk again. And thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Dr. King.
0: Well, we sit on our hands and watch roll versus wave and take the baby's rights and lead them to the graves. And now my child can't pray in school. And he's told that there's no God And a criminal's got more rights Than a great child does. Well, oh, Father, please forgive us and you keep your hand upon our land And when we're down on our knees Let's pray for the foreign and man lessons on this nation It will unite us once again And with your grace and your mercy America will stand Well they say justice is blind, and that's obvious to see As the Ten Commandments are stripped from you and me and the blood of our forefathers was it shed in vain or is this whole world just going insane well oh father please forgive us and keep your hand On this nation they will unite us once again And with your grace and mercy America will stand And with your grace and mercy